Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, every time there's a new government, various sectors form a disorderly queue outside with their wish lists for the upcoming term. So today on the show, we're looking at two industries whose economic potential maybe hasn't yet been realised, but could with a bit of TLC and a bit of discipline. The first being... Tech, that's the tech sector. Now, the National Party is promising to double the size of Aotearoa's technology sector in 10 years. Do we have a Minister of Tech at the moment? We sort of do. That is tech commentator Paul Brislin. He's written a piece about what his briefing to the incoming tech minister would be, if indeed there was one. Chris Farfoy has taken over a number of what you could loosely call the tech portfolios. So he looks after digital um, things. He looks after telecommunications, uh, a little bit about consumer affairs, which dabbles in the tech sector. But we've never really had a minister who is solely responsible for uh, New Zealand's technology. Part of the problem there, of course, is establishing exactly what tech actually is. Oh, that's a very good question. And I get a lot of abuse from people who go, what? That's not technology. That's just um, washing machines. Or (laughs) that's not technology. That's just software. And uh, the tech sector in in its entirety is really quite broad these days. And partly that's a huge success, but it also has its its downsides uh, because you, you just don't have that focus on uh, a technology course. It's not you know, specific, it's not like racing. Exactly. It's not a specific thing, like a horse with a leg in each corner. <laughs> it is, in fact, all kinds of things. And it ranges from, um, I'm going to do computer science at university, therefore I'm in the tech sector, right through to, uh, I work from home um, designing GIF uh, you know, graphical images for um, sale uh, on T-shirts on uh, Pinterest. Mm. And uh, and you're both in the tech sector. Um, I, I run a very broad church when I talk about tech because, it, you know, it, it does incorporate everything from hardware manufacture all the way through to noodling around on your phone, developing a new, uh, a new app or a new game uh, and everything in between. And services, support, cloud computing, you know, it's, it's a very broad church. And if, if it infiltrates a large number of different uh, other industries as well. That must be, that's key, isn't and it? And that's the key, really, you know, agri-tech, uh, health tech, um, education, there's a huge tech component in there. Uh, all of these sectors are rapidly um, digitising themselves and becoming tech tech heavy and yet we don't have a strategy or a plan for it which is partly why I wrote the uh, wrote the column. Now the tech industry as we heard during the political leaders debates is already a big earner. That is worth eight billion dollars to us as an economy that is enormous it's our fourth biggest export. But what are we actually exporting? Well, a lot of it is um, software. Um, we have a very vibrant uh, games development industry, which nobody in New Zealand appears to know about. When I say you can you, you can get into the, the games uh, development world, um, they're like, well, you'd have to go off to LA, surely. Or, or no, you can do it right here in New Rocket Zealand. Rocketworks. Absolutely. Grinding gear. You know, these guys are making good games and... They're recognised as game makers rather than, oh, we've got a New Zealand game maker. So you've got games, that's fantastic. Uh, Cyber security, uh, we do a very good trade in people because we train up New Zealand's tech sector very, very strong as generalists. Mm. And when you start to specialise, you get snapped up immediately. The Australians are spending a lot of money on cyber security and they will predominantly hire Kiwis if we let them. So uh, all the way through, you know, we've, we've got a... Uh, when we're talking exports, we're talking about a very, very wide group of... 
um, capabilities, all the way through to uh, Raycon, which makes the, um, this is a little bit odd, they make the oscillators that go in electronic devices that are used um, in almost every kind of electronic device uh, right across the planet. Now, that is a huge growth industry, and they physically make them here in Auckland. They've got a plant in China, but they make most of them in Auckland. Uh, And again, um, they do very poorly on the stock market. (laughs) Nobody nobody cares. It's almost a junk bond, uh, a junk stock. And and here they are. You know, they're in uh, devices all around the planet. And that's a physical thing we make here in New Zealand to ship out. But to the best of Paul Brislin's knowledge, nobody in Parliament has a background in tech. That's not a problem in and of itself. The education minister isn't a teacher and the racing minister isn't a jockey or a horse. But Brislin says tech is a pretty specific area and you don't pick up a whole lot of general knowledge by osmosis. When I started as a, as a junior reporter many years ago, Morris Williamson was the, uh, the only MP in, in all of Parliament who had any kind of tech interest whatsoever. He had this thing called a BlackBerry, which was kind of like a cell phone. <laughs> you might remember them. Um, and parliamentary services were not interested in supporting him at all because he kept coming up with a new device and he was forever badgering the telcos, you know, what's coming next? This is great. This is fantastic. Wave of the future. Uh, and he was the only one. Uh, I remember one of my colleagues um, saying uh, he was unable to get added to the press release mailing list for a minister because the minister's team had said, uh, well, it all costs money to send these emails out, you know, and they wouldn't add him to the list because he was just some junior reporter type from a... (laughs) from a computer newspaper. I mean, it, this was the mindset, right? This, these, this was something that happened elsewhere in the world. We didn't have it here in New Zealand. And that was 20 years ago. That was not that long ago. However you measure it, we're either in the top two or the top three or the top five economic earners for the country. This is a really big deal. You actually want to pay a bit of attention to this and try and drive it. We heard a lot from, largely from the National Party, actually, in the election campaign about how tech, tech mm. would be the, the thing. We want to double our, the size of New Zealand's tech centre by 2030. We think this is an, a goal that we should aspire to and one we can achieve. Couldn't agree more. I think it is, um, if, if we look at uh, an environment similar to the one we're in at the moment, there's a global pandemic. Uh, tourism's unlikely to come back anytime soon. Um, even if we're prepared for tourists to come in, they're not in a position where we're going to see mass tourism for quite some time. Economic conditions, um, you might have to get a vaccine, all that kind of thing is, is going to slow that down. So here we are in a position where we've got $12 billion knocked off our export earnings. Uh, how do we recoup that? What can we turn to quickly uh, and grow that side of the business to to really ramp up and, and, and replace $12 billion worth of lost earnings? Uh, and looking at it from that purely from a business point of view, you can either turn to the primary sector, which is already under the gun and, and working extremely hard, and I don't know how you can turn up $12 billion worth of exports out of that in a timely fashion. Are there things about us that give us a competitive advantage in growing that area? Absolutely. I think we, uh, as I said, we, we, we're very good generalists. We've got um, technology tends not to be... Uh, an academic pursuit. You don't go to university and study for five years and then do a postgrad degree and then join the industry. Uh, we've got a lot of people who come straight from high school um, who've tried these things on. We've got a lot of people who um, it, it's a constant round of learning as you go, and we're very good at that. Kiwi's quite like that. Well, I'll do a, I'll do a little bit of um, professional development work and maybe get that certificate and that diploma and build my skills, and, and that is, um, is, is really something we're quite good at and we do a lot of. All those things that used to be a problem 
for New Zealand exporters, uh, our distance to market, um, you know, we've got a very small local market, so um, so we don't have that base, all that, all that kind of thing. These are advantages in this day and age. I've heard from a number of uh, small companies who are uh, able to get access to venture capitalists in, in LA for the first time ever because of COVID, because instead of having to be there in person, and spend that expense and fly to LA and spend two weeks and you know and go and meet all these people. You can just do it via Skype. Yeah. The traditional um, export path for Kiwi companies seems to be try to get into Australia for a while, bang your head against that wall, yeah. give up, and hope you get bought by Google. Yeah. And instead, we're, we're bypassing the Aussies altogether, going straight to the source. And uh, and I've heard from a number of them that this is actually working. That because we're all in lockdown all around the planet. Uh, suddenly that tyranny of distance, that um, that strangeness and alienness isn't a problem. It's actually a positive. Now, it's all well and good to say, hey, the tech sector's great. Let's grow that pie. Judith Collins. Yeah, we've got a job. huge sector Judith right now that Ms Ardern doesn't seem to know about, and that's the tech sector. I announced a tech policy yesterday. There's a reason. That is worth... $8 billion to us as an economy. That is enormous. It's our fourth biggest export. And you know what, John? It's really high-paying jobs. But the important question is, how do we grow it? Well, it's a good question. And I, I, I suspect even left to our own devices, we'll, we'll double to $16 billion in about that time frame without doing anything. Mm. Uh, that wasn't really a stretch goal. I mean, it sounds good, but uh, you know, we could do a lot more than that. Uh, I think there are, there's a lot of untapped potential uh, within New Zealand, uh, but also as, uh, with a bit of emphasis and support in terms of exporting, um, we could absolutely grow uh, our ability to, um, to, to send stuff offshore um, really quite smartly. And, and for that, you want to do things like, so you, you, need, a, you need a minister of tech who is a cheerleader mm. for the industry, who is constantly going on about it at all those international meetings that ministers get dragged along to. We need, you, you'll often see um, uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade uh, will support you in, in trying to break into markets around the world, and that's good, but it's quite operational. It's quite, um, it's quite uh, low-level stuff. You want a minister going and banging on doors saying to the, you know, to the UK government, you guys have just spent £15 billion trying to build a, a COVID tracer app. Well, we've got one. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we, we'll turn it on for you tomorrow. Uh, and one of the single biggest taps that we could turn on in New Zealand is uh, government as a buyer of technology services uh, because they are the single biggest buyer um, of tech in New Zealand. Nobody comes close. None of the big corporates buy anywhere near as much technology as New Zealand does, as, as the government does. But where it falls down is there's no emphasis on buying local uh, and um, it's a little bit self-serving, but the, the, the flow-on effects from buying off a local uh, provider versus buying offshore are huge because you're employing people locally and they all pay tax and you are uh, able to get support because, well, you know, if you're supplying to the New Zealand government and you're in New Zealand, they know where you live. They can come and say, this isn't working, fix it. You get a lot better product off the back of that here in New Zealand and it adds to the economy and it grows. And then you've got a product that you can say offshore, well, the New Zealand government uses our product. So, you know, it's it's that class of, of capability. It's that kind of double duty that it is, it is exactly. was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right now, we are, we are demolishing the buildings on the site for Dunedin Hospital. Finally, that will be a project that will create thousands of jobs. 
We've also invested in a shovel-ready project to train at the tech those in trade training that we need to build that hospital. We get a double whammy of both building a facility and training our young people. At the same time, we're subsidising employers to hire apprentices. And that's why you need a minister who can uh, operate at that kind of level and say to health, um, you've got, I don't know how many DHBs we've got, 19 DHBs? 19, 20, uh, yeah. Why are you all buying individual different bits of kit off all these different providers? One size fits all. You've all got the same problems and the same issues. We can resolve that. And why aren't we buying New Zealand Made to do that? What about bringing tech companies to us? Mm. Is that something that we totally, could consider doing? Totally. A few years ago, there was a, quite a move to try and encourage some of the big companies to set up their data centres in New Zealand mm. uh, because uh, these mega data centres that you see in the US that host everybody's content, we're talking about Google and Amazon and Microsoft, you know, these massive data centres, uh, they look for land that is cheap. Uh, it's got to be in a politically stable and geographic geologically stable environment, uh, they want it to actually be quite cold and miserable and wet because uh, one of the biggest costs is air conditioning for all those servers that are in these giant oh. buildings. So they actually want somewhere a bit cold and damp. Uh, and they want clean electricity. So they look around the world, and in this part of the world, they've all pretty much in, uh, in, in their entirety gone to Sydney, which is none of those things, mm, right? Yeah, it's hot, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's expensive, it's, um, it's, it's not well placed. Uh, and they've all set up in Sydney, and I don't know why, and it's got to be um, government-level tax breaks, uh, incentives, that kind of thing. I don't know that we've ever gone to a Google or a Facebook or, a, or an Amazon and said, come and set up in New Zealand. Um, and for that, you, you need that buy-in at government level, which is why it's, it's so important we have representation. You ask why we wouldn't do this stuff. And um, when I opened up the New York Times this morning... Mm. Now to the blockbuster antitrust lawsuit against Google tonight, the Justice Department accusing the tech giant of being a monopoly gatekeeper for the Internet. Google handles nearly 90% of what Americans are searching for on the Internet. That might not have anything to do with anything that we're really talking about, but mm. it's still kind of freaky, right? It, it is, it is. Um, and thankfully, these cases are relatively few and far between. Uh, I think back to the last big one, the Department of Justice in the U.S., Launched and it was against Microsoft mm. um, more than twenty years ago. ago yeah. And that is that's that's almost like the gods are angry and you see the the flashes of light above the clouds that we can skate around all of that kind of thing. If you think about our uh, tech sector and the high flyers, we've got companies like Zero um, Accounting Software, the most boring of all the softwares. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rod Drury would be the first to agree with me. It is so dull, but it works so beautifully, and so it's it is a behemoth. It's mm. it's it's gaining traction all over the world, which is great to see. But it's very much under the radar, right? You could ask ten Americans, and nobody would have heard of zero at all. Um, but five of them, are, it's in their lives. Yeah, 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 they're using it. They just don't know. The, the same can be said for most of our tech sector. Really, it is um, it is very much. On the on the business side, it's business to business rather than a consumer brand. Mm. So uh, it's very unusual for us to poke our heads up at that level, which is not to say we can't. It's just we never have. So mm. uh, you know, I, I think there's um, we'll we'll let the we'll let the big guys fight it out. The um, the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Googles of the world and Apple, they can you know the Fang Group, they can they can have those issues over there because they are trillion-dollar companies. Mm. Um, there's plenty of scope underneath that for a couple of, you know, a couple of hundred-million-dollar companies. <laughs> that would be all right, wouldn't it? Uh, Paul Callaghan used to say, uh, let's build a, a place where talent wants to live. Mm. And we've got that in New Zealand, right? We're, we're relatively COVID-free. We've got um, a fantastic environment. These, these 
these geeks who spend all day in their cubicles, they like to go out and they go windsurfing and they go uh, mountain biking and they go skiing or snowboarding. And they we've got all of that within spitting distance of each other here. We've got uh, an industry that pays well above the average wage. There's huge potential. That's That's really the key to all of this. Let's say hypothetically that a Minister of Tech is appointed and you are granted an audience with them. Right. You are asked for your kind of like bullet point list of things that you would like to see in the tech industry over the sort of short to mid term, things that could be implemented realistically in maybe one or two terms of government. What would you ask for? I'd start immediately with education um, uh, and much more emphasis on encouraging kids into the tech sector, starting at intermediate and primary school Mm -hmm. and going on from there. that's That's a sitter. Uh, we need more bodies in the environment. I'd look at uh, an R&D regime that encourages investment in uh, tech startups. It might give you tax breaks if you invest in this kind of thing. I'd like a, an immigration scheme that encourages our high-tech um, uh, experts and leaders to come to New Zealand. Um, I'd like to see you know long-term visas, um, opportunity for employment, and uh, be at the top of the list as far as immigration goes. Um, I think we need um, more emphasis on the opportunity around regional economic development in New Zealand because now we've got the fibre to the home and fibre to the beach and fibre to the batch. We should be encouraging companies to set up in and around regional New Zealand rather than in the big cities and attracting the talent to those areas, which would be fantastic. Uh, And I'd like to see government set up as um, one of its requirements is um, you've got to explain why you're not buying locally made whenever you're buying technology. Mm. Um, Sure, there'll be plenty of excuses why you can't possibly buy from a New Zealand company, but I want them to actually spell out why we're not buying uh, services and support from Kiwi companies. And actually, yeah, yeah, if you can, you should, uh, unless you've got a very good reason why not. And I think those five things are relatively straightforward, uh, and it puts us on the world map and, and gives us that opportunity to really shine as an industry, and that's exactly what we need at this time. Another area with untapped potential is the creative arts sector. There has been this mantra for the last three years from the Labour Party that creative people must have sustainable careers in this country, and that's a really terrific, sexy one-liner. But underneath it, there has to be some really grunty policy and a vision and some discipline with funding. That's Josie McNaught, a lawyer for creative industry types. She deals in issues like copyright, intellectual property, contracts, wills, that sort of thing. She says the arts community's been very patient for the last three years, waiting for an arts policy, and all it's got so far are endless talk fests. And simply expecting people to... um you know, sort of apply for little bits of funding and then you dole it out and then it lasts for six weeks or six months or something and then what you're doing, you're back doing your low-paid part-time job, scratching around. And I think what we need to do is fill the gap either between leaving school, if you're a talented creative person, at school and moving into a role where you're trained in this area of um, the arts and there are many, many areas in the arts. It's not just somebody sitting writing a play in a little room at a desk or standing in front of a canvas or composing a piece of music. There's a whole background of support that has to go into um, institutions. So there's technical jobs and administrative jobs. There's a lot of things that make up the creative industries and it's not just the people who do the creation. McNaught says all that means money is needed and the current system isn't working. 
it's quite ad hoc up to now. I mean, Creative New Zealand, I think, do a fantastic job with what they do. They are well organised in channelling that funding, and that's the funding discipline which you need. I mean, we see it in health all the time. Some, a project, a small health uh, initiative gets a little bit of money, but it only lasts for a year or whatever. And then what do you do then? You know, Do you carry on with it or not? You have to reapply for your funding. That same um, slightly ad hoc approach has happened in the arts. I think that they're in a good position and that they have people who are on the ground who are talking to people in the community and they have a reasonable idea in some ways about where there could be gaps. What the, the problem is that they're not funded for a more disciplined approach to, to bridge the gap between, say, school and going into perhaps a theatre where you would go for maybe up to three years as an apprenticeship intern-type role that would be funded by the government so there's guaranteed money and you get to learn and come out the other side with a skill that you can either apply to where you are or go somewhere else. Mm. And uh, that isn't really there, that at the moment, it's very difficult. Yeah, mm. and um, the the COVID relief fund for the arts is not being administered by Creative New Zealand. It's being administered by Culture and Heritage, and the application form is is just baffling to read. And then you find out that the funding stretched across nearly three years, and it's um, highly bureaucratic. What I'm concerned about is that too much of the money there is going to stick to the sides, and not enough of it's going to find its way down to the grassroots level, which is where it needs to be. So you just constantly get institutions applying for funding, like the orchestra and opera and art galleries, museums, things that are already established. Well, I've got no problem with them having some more funding, but what, what for? You know, you want to see a really well-structured, supported arts career mapped out. Mm. Yeah. If you're, if you're a talented sports person, uh, even at school, there is a path in some sports, not all sports, of course, there is a path that you can follow where you're structured and supported to lead up to a, you know, a certain point where you you know, can hopefully rise to the top. I want to see that same, just that same approach to the arts rather than the slightly sort of hands-off approach that you can't interfere with a creative person's kind of trajectory that they're on. Just doling out money, much of which gets sucked up by bureaucracy, isn't good enough, she says. A vision is needed. And that might include a scheme that provides artists with legal services and advice with contracts to get them started while they concentrate on creating. I know, I feel like a lot of the time arts people are exploited for that that naivety because what's driving them is often not commerce. Not commerce, yeah. It's the passion to create and I think people exploit that. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell and Mark Jennings. And thanks to Paul Brislin and Josie McNaught. Ka kite anō. 